If you go to a pub in Ireland, you have to have a song. And if you don't have a song, you may as well not go to a pub at all. I've changed the Murray, by the way. So if anybody wants to buy me a Murray, well, I'd say Peroni as well. Good evening and welcome back in the new year, 2021, Four Blades in a Pub. Happy New Year to you all. Uh, you've not heard from us for a fair few weeks. And I'm John, and I'm joined tonight by Dan. Happy New Year, everyone. Philip. Good evening, Happy New Year. Ian? Hello, and Happy New Year to everyone. So yeah, we've uh, we've had a Christmas break, quite extended, because if we're being honest, uh, it took a lot of energy watching United over the festive period, and although maybe there was glimmers of hope towards the start of it, uh, by by the New Year's Day, they soon, soon diminished. But we're just going to have a little section to kick things off about what has been going on and there's quite a few elephants in the room about the manager, some players, levels of performance. So, Ian, where do you think we should start? I think we have to start at the top, don't we? And I think start by what is going on behind the scenes, because whatever I hear in terms of the words, the tone of Wilder's interviews in the lead-up to this weekend, the absence of any clear statement from the club to dispel rumours, which you could argue either way whether it was necessary or not, but I think it might have helped. I just can't help feeling there is still a massive elephant in the room um, as to whether Chris Wilder, A, will remain our manager to the end of the season, B, whether that is him initiating it or whether there's a board element to it and whether it's frustration with the board or whether the board are trying to meddle in a way that he he doesn't like. And I I don't think any of us, there's only a handful of people will know the truth, but I don't think it's healthy for a club in the situation we're in. Certainly isn't helping the situation, is it? The, The impression that you get is almost that it almost feels like Wilder's waiting for the gun to be fired because he don't want to do it himself sort of thing. He um, he alluded to a couple of times, I don't know if you heard his post-match interview yesterday, but two or three times he said the, the, the implications of not winning today were massive for the players, for the fans and for the football club in general. And that just made me wonder whether he kind of was told that if we didn't win yesterday, he was gone. And that being forced upon him, as opposed to the rumours obviously flying around last week that he'd walked. Now, whether he whether he handed his resignation and then it was rejected, which is one of the rumours or not, I guess we'll never know. But uh, obviously, the, the the old saying is, "There's no smoke without fire," and there was a hell of a lot of smoke last week, wasn't there? I, I don't think his pre-match press conference was what people were hoping for, because obviously everyone had, was like I said, it was, and the silence was deafening from from the club. And then obviously Chris Wilder will do his press conference as normal on Thursday. I think everyone thought that would be definitive. Yeah, these rumours are rubbish and the Sheffield United manager, me and the board are on the same page. I think it was anything but, and I think it actually posed more questions than it answered in the way that, he, in, 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 like, like he said, in, in the things he said within his demeanour, the way he said it. 
wasn't a definitive, no, I'm staying. It was, I think he made some statement like, I can't, you know, I don't know whether I'm going to be Sheffield United manager for the next five years or the next 24 hours. Doesn't particularly sound like someone who's 100% certain of what's happening in his own mind or within the club, does it? No. And, and I just wonder, like you say, it comes back to... I, I, I put a comment on our WhatsApp chat after, full-time um, at Turf Moor, which wasn't a happy place. And I just put, I thought his demeanour at the final whistle Saturday worried me. And I said that at the time before the rumours started afterwards. Um, it just... He looked broken, and I mean physically and mentally broken. And I'm not, I'm not saying that to be disparaging. I'm saying it out of genuine. I was concerned as to how he looked because, you know, we all feel under pressure from time to time at work. The magnitude of that pressure, being, um, you know, a, a fan, as a you know, a former player, someone who is who's had a, the joyous ride that we've had over the last, you know, previous four years to be under this level of scrutiny, self in, self-enforced pressure on top of the general, you know, focus, you know, magnif- magnification of the Premier League. Just, uh, it, it worried me how he looked genuinely for him. Not not necessarily, you know, uh, as much as I'd love him, you know, when he stays manager, uh, it worried me how he looked. Kind of like we were saying yesterday morning, Ian, this is absolutely uncharted territory for him. Mm. In, both in his United career and probably in his football career because if you go on a sort of run with Halifax in the conference, possibly, you know, it's, it's obviously not as big a deal. It's not, there's not the media scrutiny. You go on this sort of run in the Premier, com, premier Competition in World Club Football, it suddenly becomes a hell of a big deal. So he's probably having to deal with some stuff that he's never had to deal with before. Mm. And like I say, added to the fact that it's his boyhood club, you know, ball boy, player, manager, it can't be helping matters, can it? And added to the fact that there are, that there's been talk for a while about the club wanting to change the way it's structured behind the scenes in terms of a uh, potential director of football or whatever you want to call it nowadays. That, that just adds more uncertainty to it all because clearly Wilder's a sort of manager that wants to, as he puts it, have his fingerprints across everything. And if that's being taken away from him, added to the pressure of the results and the way things are going against him, it can't be a nice place to be. I think devil's advocate, how many managers are there now at this sort of level who have ultimate control over every facet of the club? I don't think there's any in the Premier League. No. I think Wilder's the only one and I actually don't think it's a bad idea to get a director of football in. I think it's a a really sensible modern move. I just think, obviously, he's not happy about... We don't know, do we? But obviously, it's how it's being suggested is probably caused tension. When Ian said the phrase, no smoke without fire, I would like to say, I think some people in the local press need to have a serious, serious word with themselves. When you've got um, the, the only Premier League club in the local area, He's going through a slightly bad patch. Not to mention the fact, being the only Premier League club, what that does to the city generally, and sport in the city, and the money that comes into the city. To have some sort of, you know, advocates of local sport and football tweeting out spurious 
balls about oh I don't like what I've heard. It's it's not helpful. It, it's disrespectful to the the best manager in the region. It's disrespectful to the football fans, and it creates a problem. Now, what we've found throughout Wilders, Rain at United, and many times is we don't find out we transfer business and stuff until it's done. And I'm sure if he is to get the bullet at some stage, we would probably find out from him a little bit about why or or anything like that. But until then, we just I, th- I feel like it, this needs a line drawing under it. I don't know who's to do that, but they need. I think someone at the club above Wilder needs to draw a line under it. The fact that a former American associate of our chairman was chipping in with various things the other day. And obviously everyone who's a big Blades fan will have seen various messages from ITKs sending stuff around. But we just genuinely don't know. And I think... Well, what didn't help, you, you talk about uh, our former chairman sat in his little... Um, Chair over in America supporting also does as well. He yeah, I was. Um that one of those tweets was actually liked by the owner as well, which was oh, yeah. helpful. But we don't need that at the minute, do we? And then no. I also I also don't think I need to read a competition about who can blow as much smoke up Wilder's arse about how great he is and how they're the world would be turned into turmoil if he was to lose his job because unfortunately until the other day we hadn't won a game for nearly six months and we've signed some poor players and we've not improved our first team squad and you would, I think, externally the goodwill Wilder is is bought by being a great manager for us, don't get me wrong but some people externally would look at him think he hasn't won a game for a long time. They've got to be thinking about a change. Obviously, we watch the games. We know more about it. But I just think the, the amount, I think me and you talked about it, Dan, the like, amount of bladey bladeness that's knocking about um, when it comes to any criticism of performances. Like, you can't say that. The Wilders players. It's like, well, yeah, they are. But he picks the team and he also doesn't make the substitutes correctly sometimes. And you criticise people who you... Like in football, if they're not performing at the standards, you know they can. It's almost like it became, and I think this added to it, almost like a cult thing. Like, no, we all want him, and I'm not saying I wanted him to lose his job, but I just feel like the whole discussion around it's just, it's just poisonous and just negative. Like, and then obviously this is why I posted something last week. Sorry to cut across, John, but the um. As soon as I first heard about these these rumours about him, him leaving, it and the way that the the like you said the the local journalists and, and former players and, and associates of the club were, were tweeting at about the same time about the same sort of things, it just made me wonder whether this was I don't know whether it was too much of a coincidence or whether it was a almost a deliberate ploy to get people back singing off the same hymn sheet again, trying to sort of unite and remember why we all kind of loved Wilder in the first place rather than being the bit of a bitch and moan fest that there has been for the last, understandable, for the last 22 games or whatever it is since we last won a game. Uh, and and it, to a degree, it worked because whether it was a deliberate ploy or not, come the time he did his comp- press conference, everybody pretty much unanimously was, was saying that they really don't want him to leave and they want him to remain as manager. And that's the first time I've heard the fan base united for a long time. 
Mm. I have to say, it was a pretty bold move to try it. And, and, and I, 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 can, I can see your point in time. It's a bold move by the club to try and orchestrate that. I don't, think the club will have done. I don't think the club will have done. Maybe they were, I don't know. It, it was more the fact that, I mean, we, we know who we're talking about with the people that sent the tweets out that did. They're not associated with the club, but they're obviously all people that know each other and in a, in a, they're kind of talk in the same circles. That, that's not necessarily the club that's behind that. And like you said earlier, the club didn't comment on the rumours last week. Why would they? If they had to comment on every rumour, they'd never stop tweeting. So I don't know. I'm not saying that there's nothing in it because there clearly is. Wilder's clearly under the pump and, and he looks like a different man at the moment. But it just... One thing that has happened is it has united the fan base behind Wilder again, which it hasn't been for a while. Do we think what we do off the pitch as much as on the pitch in January will have a, an influence on whether he's here come the 1st of February? I'm talking predominantly about the transfer window. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, 100%. I think it's, I think it's, clear, it's no surprise that that came to a head. What could only... I think so many games over Christmas, but... There was a game where he was quoted, wasn't he, and saying, like, my name's with the board, it's over to them. And that was almost like the first get piece in the game of chess, which then resulted in the rumours circulating and the suspicion that he'd walked. No coincidence that this has happened. Um, well, arguably, with Newcastle coming up on Tuesday in the middle of a series of games, we should have been looking to take points from. Also, right at the start of the window, I think it's, it'd, be, it'd be too much of a coincidence to not uh, point to the fact that that's happened. You know, that it's happening in the last week in the January transfer window. And I think people would say don't get anyone in, but we need to freshen up that squad because it's, it's paper thin. This is something that um, I was going to raise. So um, I think we've touched on this before. It, it, Ferguson's the analogy that people use that he didn't he, he managed to last as long as what he did because when the players were at a point where they couldn't take Man United any further he got rid of the players before he went so is this where Wilder's at now is there players in that squad that have gone as far as they can that he needs to look at start being brutal with and, and moving on when when we perhaps don't think that they're um they're the players that are ready to go, and, and one that one that stands out, and, he, and he, he's kind of helped himself stand out over the last week or two is is Ollie Norwood, who we've all said on here we're a better side with with him in it, but you're starting to see why he's not been in the side when he's in it now because of his defensive frailties that are clear and obvious. Just it looks like his legs have gone overnight. Mm. And, and often play, you know, you, you can see sometimes a gradual decline in players over a season or a season and a half. His legs have, have almost gone overnight. He just, given the ball at his feet and given lots of time, he'll still ping those 40, 50, 60 yards. As he did yesterday. As he did yesterday. But actually ask him to get around the pitch, like I said, put tackles in, put blocks in, like he was, like he was better, he was actually better at that than people gave him credit for mm. in the, the previous seasons. He actually did, you know, some real good defensive work. That just seems to have gone. It doesn't seem mobile in the slightest. But even then, I'm, I'm just not having that Ollie Norwood can't sprint faster without a football at his feet than Eze can with a football at his feet. He just let him run past him and didn't didn't it didn't try though. to get back. He just point, pointed to where the player, you know, he was, he was pointing as if to say where the cover should be. Passing where, the responsibility where to go. on. Just James Harcourt. 
Yeah, absolute peak James <laughs> Harper. <laughs> but I mean, Norwood's just one example. We could pick the bones out of what's been going wrong with Norwood, but there are others out there. Flex you not could, been at it this season. Flex not been great. Stevens doesn't look anything like the player he was last season. Um, and that's three real, you know, three real mainstays and three key parts of our team over the last three, four, five years, isn't it? Equally, there's a player who you you could argue has been one of our better players for much of the time, and I know that that's not setting the bar particularly high. <laughs> but we've seen the impact of losing Jack O'Connell. What we've talked about on here before is when you lose either of those two wide centre backs, we've got a problem. And realistically, and we've seen some defensive frailty from him in recent weeks. We've got to be thinking about how we replace Chris Basham because we've great checks. We brought Rodwell in. Neither of them are anywhere near. I mean, Rodwell's not anywhere near the squad. So actually, you know that that is a real issue that needs to be addressed in the next six months as well. Out of interest, and just throwing this out there, how tall's Bogle? He's got to be six foot. I would have said. Could he play? Could could he? Could he play Basham's position? Well, I was actually going to—I was going to bring this up a little bit later on. I he, maybe he's too small, but I actually think Baldock would be better doing the Baldock, uh, doing the Basham position, and Bogle playing right back or right wing back, because right. Baldock's a far better defender than than what I've seen so far from Bogle. Yeah, Bogle's clearly better going forward than Baldock is because he plays with his head up rather than rather than yeah, yeah. his head down like what Baldock does. Whether Baldock's tall enough to play centre half, I don't know. There's been small centre halves in the past. It needs to the unfortunate position we find ourselves in is we need a lot of players in order to do a number of things and that's stop any form of rot would need at Premier League level serious investment and also the age of a lot of our mainstays and things like that. We've by and large for four years under Wilder, we've not really had an injury to any of the big players for a long period of time. Apart from in the first season, Leon Clark was out for the majority, but we didn't think that Clark was the big deal in that side. And we had Lavery and Matt Doan and people like that were around. What what I would like to just go back to with Norwood, I personally think we've got enough people who've been passages in this side for so long. If he's not going to do his defensive bit, at least we actually look like we can retain the ball when he plays. He actually, like in the Palace game as well. I know he wasn't he wasn't sparkling, but we at least had a decent amount of possession and it looked like we had a player in the midfield who could pass the ball. Because Fleck, I know he set up Burke's goal yesterday. Fleck's distribution had been woeful. He looks like he's on the hangover. He looks like your mate who's been in your Sunday team who could be the best player, but he just goes out every single night of the week and he just can't. His body can't do it anymore. He can't burn the candle at both ends. He's playing like he's got an hangover. He's and playing like, like he's playing like Spen looked in that video he sent this morning in one of the chats <laughs> after celebrating our win. Wins a win, yeah. Wins a win, yeah. Uh, no, I think I think you're right. Fleck has always when he's not on it has always been anonymous. I think, and we've said it several times before. He starts seasons slowly. After international breaks, he seems to come back slowly, as we did as a team, in fairness. But going back to the point about Norwood, despite his defensive frailties and despite everything we've just said about maybe his legs have gone, we're still a better side with him in it right now. Because I don't think anybody does that job that he does, retaining the ball, spraying it around better than him. No. 
Can I pose a different question then? Because we're talking here about some fundamental change. We're talking about Wilder needing to be backed. And whilst it's true that the Prince probably hasn't used much of his own money, you'd argue he's used the money the club has generated and Wilder's generated to fund what we've done today. It's always interesting to look at context. We can demand he spends money, but equally, if he hadn't won the court case, ALK would have taken over, probably bought McCabe out, and they've just leveraged Burnley up to the hilt from a club that's got £60 million in the bank. So it's always there's always a danger here that we, we want the ambition and we demand it, but realistically, where do you find those owners who are going to bankroll it to the extent that we'd need to? I don't. I, I wanted the ambition in the. I wanted the ambition in the summer Ian, a bit more. I wanted, but across the pitch. I don't. I don't think you can. I'll be honest. I don't. I think don't. You can call the manager. Sorry, the owner for lack of ambition. I mean, we've, yeah. we've broken our transfer record multiple times. I mean, when did you ever imagine that we'd have two twenty million pound players in our side and a fifteen million pound goalkeeper and a couple of ten million pound players? Berg, Berg is one of the one of the biggest ever January transfer window signings in the Premier yeah. League, and um, Aaron Ramsdale is one of the most expensive British goalkeepers of all time. And, and, and again, according to again, take it with a pinch of salt, if you will, because I know he's obviously a, a company man to the end. But if, if Jim Phipps tweets are to be believed, we are paying players upwards of 40, 50 grand, which is not. We're never going to be paying them eighty, ninety grand. That's not, yeah. But we're not paying the twenty-five grand that a lot of people. Seem to think we are. I suppose the question is whether we whether these. I mean, certainly later on in the window, Rian Brewster was that a, a needs must signing, and would we have been better off getting our first choice, but never backed at that time? And, and Brewster was a. I'm thinking the money to get cash and Watkins and people through the door. I'm not yeah. talking about like game changing. I'm not saying going and buying people forty million, forty million pound or hundred grand a week. I just you know like people like Cash and that who were in for Matty Cash being one of the best signings of the season. He looks brilliant whenever I see Villa. Annoyingly good. Where's, where's Cash play? Right back. Right. So, uh, i go back again. For me, Baldock's probably been my player of the year so far. I was just about to say, would, would, we, would we be any better off if we had got Cash over the line with Cash starting and Baldock sitting behind him as, as a kind of sub? than we are with Baldock playing well and Bogle because Bogle's come in and done well Baldock's like I said been player of the season well, I'm currently I'm, I'm just getting his number while they're getting yeah, right. targets rather than whether we necessarily you, you don't know he breaks his, he could break his ankle on his debut concept yeah and it's, it, everything's a we all were a bit like he's a good player but is he worth that and then he's obviously bagged quite a few and looks very much at home in the Premier League I, I, I don't think you know in the same way Nobody who supports United was anything other than delighted that we got Ampadu, and he's been absolutely. He he looks the epitome of somebody who doesn't care, and it shocks me that he's still in the team. The fact that against the Palace, we played Basham out of position to get him into the team is how I viewed that. Insanity. I mean, I, I mean, I must admit, I love Bash. But he should never ever play central midfield for a Premier League club. No, he should never. As a, as a as a roving centre half, as he is, great. As a central midfielder at this level, get it. But I think it. We could. This is a bit like it's a bit a bit of speculation here. But we're going to go and talk on about Bristol um, 
are going to talk about the Bristol game in the next section, but I think despite getting a win yesterday, and as good as that was, and we'll go on to talk about it, I think there's still lots of frustration amongst us, and I imagine there is amongst the rest of the supporters. I think there is amongst the manager and the, and the club in general as well. So I think to maybe to summarise this section, I don't think we're any further forward than we were this time last week. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not further on than we were 20 odd minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> nice one. So, uh, welcome back to part two. This is going to be novel for us. We're going to talk about a win. Woohoo! <laughs> How did that feel last night? I, I think uh, looking at some of the pictures on Twitter and the group chat, some people enjoyed it last night and made the most of it, despite not being able to go to the pub. So, um, fairly strong side starting down at Bristol Rovers. And, and I've got to be honest, I watched the game, and albeit against lower league opposition, I thought we played quite well. The big thing for me, Phil... And I've not been able to say it since maybe the Brighton game, yeah, but before that, the Liverpool game. I thoroughly enjoyed watching us. Not because we were sparkling particularly, but it was an entertaining competitive game of football that we were in. We attacked like we used to attack in a way. We got good balls in the box. It's amazing what Ben Osborne can do when he's not got any pressure on him, isn't it? Uh, a couple of good balls in, didn't he? he went, Osborne's crossing was phenomenal, and I thought Bogle was obviously very, very good. I tweeted it last night. I'm just absolutely infuriated that the one position that we've got somebody who's coming and stuck a claim in is the one where we've arguably got the most consistent performer over the season playing in already. It's so frustrating. It's nice to see Lundstrom back in, so I think he did add a physicality and. Um, well, he, he's got something different to every every other central midfielder we've got. And when you've got slim pickings like we have at the minute, it was good to see him in. But yeah, getting a win. I didn't drink that much last night, but I certainly had a good good couple of beers with my dad after the match, which was lovely. I, I, I thought it was a good performance. I thought, yeah, you could take away the fact that they're a Lee one side, you know. We could easily have been, you know, the team getting the jokes about the coach driver doing a pointless journey during COVID times like Leeds are getting right now. That, that, that ostensibly, quite easily, could have been us. And it wasn't. And I think that's about how we took ourselves to that game. Now, there were some frailties and there were some mistakes and there's things that we've seen this season that still need sorting out. But ultimately... We, we saw elements of what we're good at going forward. I thought the two, I agree, the two fullbacks had a good game. I thought McGoldrick had a good game. He, he linked up playing that final third really well. He had, he's got a bit of vision. He created space, which enabled us to play that way. Um, I tweeted at half time yesterday that I thought we'd had a reasonable first half. The commentator was annoying me saying, you know, it's, it's a close game. And it possibly was on possession, but actually there was only one team really, I mean, they had that one chip to the goal aside, that was their chance. We were creating and we were looking dangerous and putting good balls into the box. And I got one or two comments back going, oh, totally void of ideas. You know, we, we should be giving them a good pasting. There's not many teams you give a good pasting to in the well, club. Well, I don't know. 
You know what? On another day, and without our obvious defensive frailties, because we we just don't seem to be able to defend good balls in at the moment, um, we kind of give them two fairly simple goals. We could have easily won that game 5-0 yesterday. We had a goal chalked off that could have easily been given. We hit the post. We missed a sitter. You scored it within a minute, didn't we? Like, Lundstrom or Moussa could have scored like within the first minute. Burke hit the post at the end. There was... Oh, the group chat. I don't know where we all sit on this. I suppose it's something we need to discuss. But that miss from Burke is absolutely disgraceful from a professional footballer. To not hit the target, or at least... It's in the middle. He's practically on the penalty spot, and he puts it out for a throwing. I didn't see it. Um, I I saw the whole game apart from a a five-minute spell where Burke did that, and then we scored... Scored two and conceded one. That's the only five minutes of the game I missed. <laughs> it was it was like watching me with a golf club on Tinsley Park <laughs> twenty years ago. I, 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 it's still it's the kind of thing where. Uh, the let's be fair. He's shit, to me. We, we've said so many times. If he could finish, we we, we wouldn't have him because he causes absolute havoc. I think I'm with you, Dan. I, he's shit. He's absolute <laughs> shit. He's like a wind-up toy that you set going in one direction and moves really, really fast in one direction. And if he catches and hits the reaches, let's say you're aiming this wind-up toy for a ball, if he's running at the right pace and catches the ball at the right time and he hits it, it'll, it'll go in. But nine times no. out of ten, he's, he's, he's not hitting it at the right moment. No other player at the club would score the goal that he scored yesterday or create for himself and nearly score the chance to hit the post. Nobody else at the club. No, I, I get that. I get that. His pace is is absolutely terrifying. It, yeah, but the problem is the rest of his game is terrifying for us. <laughs> when people say, "Oh, play him on wing," why? Well, that's what that's what he did at Leipzig, wasn't it? Leipzig played him on the wing for two games, and that's all he played. I think, yeah, I think he started as a winger, didn't he? I think. I think he started as a winger, and he, he, he played. I think he played right wing back for Alaves and stuff like that. He's just. I know he scored yesterday. But that's more. To, that's to me more about someone finding the level. It, that's, that's he the causes one more problems. problems on one side. He causes more problems for other teams' defenders than anybody else on our team. And I'll, I'll argue that with anybody. No, yes, you're right. Yes, he does. misses chances, but we haven't got anyone else that causes other teams' defenses an issue. We haven't got anybody. We, well, we are. We just can't get fit. Moose. Moose. Yeah. And what? Moose can. Moose can, Moose can cause problems like him, but the fact is that if you give Moose a half-decent chance, he's fairly, fairly consistent. Burke is, and, and this is what I don't understand about Burke, a couple of seasons ago, people were clamouring for to sign players with pace, and Wilder was like, what's the point? I'm not just signing a player because he's quick, and he, I think he said, you know, speedboat, no driver. And then he goes and signs this one. <laughs> I just he's, feel... he's, he's honestly he's fucking rubbish at this level he's the worst striker I've ever seen for United at this level <laughs> he's not the worst striker we've got at any time I'm sorry no I, I, I'm, I'm sorry but Jostein Flo <laughs> Flo was far more effective than he is Phil who do you think's worst striker we've got for this level uh, for causing problems for other teams I don't think Billy Sharp creates any problems for other teams. I don't think Colin McBurney creates many many problems for other teams at the moment. Obviously not while he's in the team. He's missed more chances than Burke has this season. McBurney's probably missed five or six. Burke's missed two or three bad ones. What I'd say about the chances McBurney 
makes us doubt. How are you justifying them, but not the others? Because they can't have both ways. Well, it can on the argument I'm about to make, where McBurney's headers go slightly wide, or the shots are mishit. Burke's chances include two one-on-ones where he's fallen over and putting a ball out for a throw-in, which is in the middle of the box with no pressure on him. There's, I think there's a bit of a difference there. I'm, Burke, I think it's an option. I just... It, it scares me that Leipzig paid 13, 14 million or whatever it was for him. And then West Brom paid the same to take him back. Leipzig must, Leipzig must, it was like us um, buying Claude Davis for three million quid and then getting three million quid. <laughs> and then getting it back. <laughs> That's exactly what Leipzig did. They went 50 million quid. We've, we've done us Deutsch marks here, haven't we? And West Brom went, no, we'll have him for the same money. We'll suicide him and then they fancy him straight away. It was Hassan Huttel signed him for, for Leipzig and realised instantly that while the physical was there, just he's tactically, tactically and uh, the mental side of the game, he's as thick as mince by all accounts. It's, it's, it's weird how he's got a CV like he has, but that's like he broke off too much. He, the champ, the goal he scored, he did quite well. And I think, Phil, like you say, I think it is worth pointing out that he did create that other chance for himself. And he, his, um, his dummy was the reason yeah. that Bogle won, won us the game. I think he got scared, like, you know, that video of Mick McCarthy when he gets scared by nothing. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, what we're saying is Burke won us the game, but he's shit. I'm not saying he's shit. I just... I am. He's not... If people think he's the answer, I just don't get it. He's not. He's not the answer, and I'm not suggesting that. I'm not at all. But I don't... But you see, neither he's not at the minute... Neither is Moose. Moose is not a messiah. He's a, he's a very... And, and this is the problem. None of them are. Like you say, you've, you've got Moose who can't get fit. You've got Burke who's, like you say, a, a kind of headless chicken. Sharp who's past his best. McGoldrick who's probably the pick of the bunch. But asking a 33-year-old to play game in, game out, game in, game out is asking something. There's I guess we're back to recruitment again, aren't we? We're going back, yeah. <laughs> back to recruitment questions again. Questions as to whether Brewster's ready. And McBurney's probably, you know, he's a bit of a... I would, since we're pretty much down, which is quite a statement considering literally on one of the last pods we asked the big question, I think I was the first to say I thought we would go. Um, I think we'd all probably agree now it's too big a ask. But we'll go to Newcastle and what could potentially happen there in a moment. But for me, like, if I'm manager of Sheffield United, and I've spent nearly £50 million pounds on Ollie McBurney and Rianne Brewster, I'd be playing them every game because I'll be backing my decision-making. Um, and I think, well, I think when McBurney's back from whatever this shoulder injury where he dived that he's given himself, I think he will, it will be McBurney. But unfortunately, I think it does look like it will probably be, well, maybe, uh, maybe McGoldrick drops deep, but I'd, I think that, despite what happened yesterday, I don't think the one area of the pitch we could have maybe done with somebody really staking the claim in. I'm not... Do you think... Do you think Tuesday the strikers pick themselves? Because I think it becomes... Arguably, Moussa scored two goals. I'd, I'd throw throw some thought in the mix here because it's like... You talk about you should play your sign and stick by them. And actually, if, you, if you're taking one eye to the future and what that future looks like and potentially most likely a division below, you'd be playing them now. 
But I saw someone someone comment yesterday on Solanke and how well he's playing for Bournemouth this season. He can argue, again, dropped a division, but he's finally coming good for Bournemouth with confidence, playing. And, and maybe that's what we've got. You know, we, these players, some of them didn't perform in the same way for Bournemouth last season. That dropped down, they embed themselves, they come back up with some confidence. We, we brought players up with confidence last time and maybe yeah. that's what we need to do this time. But we've got to start giving them... Some top flight that's why that's why the win yesterday was so big for confidence in general, not just for the forwards, but we're lacking confidence all over the pitch. It's so clear and I've evident, isn't it? So a win a win, however it comes, has got to has got to be a boost. And as for who starts up front, I mean, I guess <laughs> it was a surprise for most that, that Moussa started yesterday. I'm assuming nothing changes in regards to um what what happened last Sunday night. Uh, I mean, in terms of whether he's whether he's available Tuesday, I'm sure he will be. Whether he whether he can do two games mind. in four days, that's a different matter, isn't it? We we blew he blew everyone's mind seeing on the pitch yesterday. I think all, literally one minute past two, I looked at my phone and said, "Moves, moves?" Question mark. Oh my god, moves! You know, like I think we're all shocked. But just to cycle back slightly, I don't think it's applicable for Tuesday. But when we unfortunately get relegated. Brewster and McBurney, a full season together in the Championship, it's got 40 plus goals between them. And I will uh, take that bet with any of you now. If you think Brewster will be it? Well, that's the thing, isn't it? But I think at the moment, unfortunately, he's fallen into the Solanke bracket. And that comparison was actually put my way from a couple of pig mates. And I said, well, maybe he will be, but. You as if you wouldn't be buzzing signing England under twenty one playoff current champions, and I think that's how you have to look at it still. And one he's on a long deal, isn't he? Five and years. One, and one interesting thing about the Ber- uh, Berger injury and the O'Connell injury, if we were to go down with the whimper that it looks like we're going to, we might end up getting six months of full year of them two in the championship. You just don't know. Which would Big be difference. well, O'Connell certainly. I don't think anyone's buying. I don't think anyone's spending any sort of money on a, on someone who's been out for what however long he's going to end up being out for. If he's out for eight nine months. When he comes back, after, he's going to have to have at least half a season for clubs to to make sure he's he's fit and over his injury before they possibly look. Twenty seven, Jack might start next season. I'd have to guess that. Mm. Yeah, they're about. <laughs> arguably, there's actually not that many right now of our team that people would want to cherry pick. Maybe John Egan. I said that I thought that could be the case didn't I Uh, I think we've got our topic about the game yesterday there were other things I think we need to mention Uh, Ramsdale's Grobelar impression was quite amusing Um, I think in terms of in terms of the goal we the the, the first the second goal I think so he's just gone away they're not organised at the corner but the first one, is it a foul on Basham? Not for me. Well, someone someone questioned his commitment, but I, I don't think that... I mean, you can we can criticise Bash for a lot of things. I don't think... Yeah, exactly. I don't think you can criticise his commitment, can you? What, what worries me is what, what, what's changed. And I know you can argue we haven't got the same keeper. We're missing one of our main defenders. But ultimately, you know, everyone's got a job to do. The organisation on set pieces this season's horrific. And I don't know if something's changed behind the scenes or with the coach or the planning that goes into the game but something's not right Do you remember the, 
you remember the first season in the championship where we used to get conceded corners in the last eight to five minutes and we were terrified because we thought Blackman's going to come out and drop it or Ender's going to have one on edge at box. And I think it's gone back to that time of maybe this is a theme in football and uh, we've actually never had a side as good as we had last season. So we're like looking at it in such a microscopic way. But I'm, like they just... You know, it sets in, shit, we've got to defend a corner, shit, we've got a corner, we've got a cross, lads, lads, are we on it, are we on it, are we on it? Because there's no way, like, O'Connell, despite being a physical beast, he does, I went back in the league one day, is when you're obviously close to the pitch, and even watching him, like, he's not the most vocal player. Yeah. Like, O'Connell, people say he's captain material, in the way he plays 100%, but he's, he's, he's clearly not vocal. I wonder if that's what we're missing because I don't think Basham's particularly. It doesn't strike as being particularly vocal, not like a in a in a you know like a Chris Morgan type way. I think Egan a little bit, but more like leading by example. For the last three seasons or last two seasons, they've had Henderson behind him, who we knew was uber vocal. Where, and I wonder if we're missing that. I wonder if they're missing a keeper absolutely barking at him. Ram Ramsdale is. That that I'm, and I'm only talking about what I've read from other fans. To you can hear him. Or oh, then. okay. Um, I think you, you touched on it again. Then confidence, not just from a goalkeeper's point of view. Confidence breeds confidence, and when you when you're lacking it, you're scared of coming off your line, or you're scared of scared of dropping a ball. Although he, he doesn't seem scared of dropping it because he does it every game. But mm. um, but it's the same with defenders attacking a ball that they'd probably do a little bit more forcefully than they are doing at the moment because we don't seem to be I don't know Basham I don't doubt his commitment in any way whatsoever but I don't think he loses that header last season I don't know whether it's just I don't know it's just something's, something's different something's changed I think, I think, I think, I think and then he got caught he was a bit flat-footed. That was his problem. He was yeah. a bit. He was standing. It was a standing jump. That and the other guy had a run on him. That that was. That's why he beat him in the air. I think that's the commitment thing, though. I don't think it's doubting their commitment to. I think it's a com, a commit being committed to, to going the tackle, for the ball, to the challenge, to the header, confidence, and it's and that's mean they're not committed. And I think that's probably what it is more than mm. commitment. Either way, we've got to sort it out. <laughs> but. We go back, going back to what we, we started this section talking about the game yesterday, and we've, and, and and ultimately we won a game, and that's positive, and we played well, and that's positive. So I'll take that, I'll take that into Tuesday, and and I think we're going to talk a bit about Tuesday next, aren't we? And we've got our friend Steve Bruce coming back to uh, to, to Sheffield again. The curse of the flat-nosed pig bastard. Hey, trainers, John. What these? No, mate, I've had them for years. Just got them back from being clean. Look really good, don't they? Yeah, really? Is that a thing? Honestly, they look new, mate. They look class. Yeah, it's a thing. Really reasonable, too. Had them done at this place called Glistening Kicks. They're in Sheffield. Fe- fellas are blade, too. Oh, nice one. That saves buying new ones, doesn't it? How do I find them? I've got a few pairs I need looking at myself. Absolutely. Save, save me someone who's got a bit of a trader for headship. An absolute fortune. You can get them on social media like most things these days. They're on Twitter at Glistening Kicks and Instagram at Glistening underscore Kicks. Or they have a website, 
christinkicks.co.uk. Give them a shout. The process is dead easy. They collect them safely and then drop them back off with you. And if you take them round yourself, that process could be even quicker. Um, they look, feel, and smell like new. And it's I'm, I'm absolutely chuffed. And I'm already looking at what pairs I'm going to take down um, next to have him look out for us. Nice one. Cheers for that. I'm going to get on to them straight away. What was their industry again? At glistening underscore kicks. That's the one. Really good service, and I couldn't recommend it enough to any blades. Brilliant. Nice one. All the blades. Welcome back to part three, everyone. Um, we're going to look forward to Tuesday night's game against Newcastle. Obviously, a team that somehow managed to do the double overs last season, even though they were essentially shit for the entire season. Um, I just wonder if we can flip reverse that a bit this year and, and we can be the ones that do the double over them when there's nothing expected of us. Um, John, what are you expecting, hoping for on Tuesday? I think on Tuesday we beat Newcastle uh, and the reason I think that is I'm insane. No, it's because um, I've talked to my dad about this. They've been on a stinker of a run. They've been on an absolute stinker of a run. Uh, they were chasing They were chasing a rejuvenated Arsenal around last night for, for two hours and obviously lost the game before that. They'd lost to Leicester, they drew with Liverpool, lost to City, lost to Brentford, drew with Fulham. I just think I think we'll win on Tuesday. I don't know why. I just feel like it's we've got to win a, we've got to win a Premier League game sooner rather than later. Newcastle are poor side. If it was an epitome of a team we owe one to, it's that. Um and and I don't think about I know they've got a decent um decent points record, but I just don't think they're very good. And I haven't thought they're very good for a very long time. Like you just said, Dan, like, despite Newcastle being shit for the entire season, I think that's completely fair. And I think if you ask Newcastle fans, they'd say the same thing. They um, do. <laughs> but unfortunately for us, they, they've got players like Callum Wilson, although he does like to score against us, doesn't he? But yeah, I don't know what you guys think, but I think we've got, we've got a real good chance for a win on Tuesday. I think if I was to pick any team in the Premier League, apart from possibly West Brom, as to who I'd want us to play this Tuesday, it'd be Newcastle. I think they've got massive frailties. I don't think they've got a very good manager. I think um, they're exactly the sort of team that we could do with playing against. They don't create a lot of chances. Bruce, albeit it's quite a pragmatic manager in the fact he sits that perhaps gives us a chance to have the ball a little bit as well, which we haven't had a lot of for the last few weeks because we've played against teams that have dominated possession against us. So I think that might go in our favour as well. I'm, I'm with you, John. I think we'll win on Tuesday. And I haven't been confident for a while. I, my worry for Tuesday, and you correct me if I'm wrong, didn't you bring Carol in at the match at the lane to play up front? Yeah. He's played last night and he's been playing... If, if I was Steve Bruce, I'd be playing Carroll amongst others and having a go, you know, have a go at our back line, it, you know, work on set pieces, a bit like what we were saying before, and it, it, it's a clear weakness we've got. That worries me a bit, you know, a player like Carroll attacking a ball in the box. That's my one worry. I agree, I think they're a, they're a frail side. 
I think they're quite frail mentally as well. I, I, for various reasons, there's one or two Northeast journalists I kind of follow and, and know on Twitter, and um, they've alluded to it for you know quite some time that this could you know this side the ones to get a knock uh, you know do find it difficult sometimes to pull themselves back into game. I mean, they have managed it, but I, I think we could get at them, and I think the confidence of yesterday will hopefully give us that lift to go in and take it to them. I just worry about our known weaknesses and if Bruce has got enough about him to, to properly exploit them. I'm, I'm kind of with you. I was worried about, obviously about Carol. We've talked about our obvious deficiency at set pieces, you know, throwing free kicks and corners and Andy Carroll's charging on. So that worries me. Callum Wilson worries me. It's, I don't know if Sam Maximan's He's been playing. Uh, he's been injured for a bit, hasn't he? He's been injured. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and they've got an outstanding keeper, and it's got it's got Dubravka having a blinder. Oh, he's not been playing either, has he? Carl Darlow's been playing. I know Dubravka played yesterday, but Carl Darlow's been yeah. playing. Darlow's been excellent as well, though. Darlow's been really, really good. In like, I think that I think if you ask Newcastle fans uh, who they're playing the season is, they'd say they'd say uh, Darlow so far. The only the only, they're, they're quite workmanlike, aren't they? Middle of midfield, so you're looking at Longstaff and, and Hayden. And, um, Jeff Hendrick is Jeff Hendrick there now. Hendrick, yeah. Hendrick, yeah. Hayden, and Longstaff will sit as yeah. a three. And then again, if we're talking about our midfield possibly not having legs anymore in terms of Norwood and Fleck, I'm not as confident as as, as you guys. I, I think it'll be another. I, I think it'll be another defeat myself. That is. Yeah, they, well, they, play, they play they play four five one, don't they? With Almiron and uh, Joe Linton's been playing out wide. I I just think I just think we can beat them. I really really do. Um, they have got a couple of players that I obviously mentioned Saint Maximum. I think Lascelles is a really good centre back. Um, Almiron's a very exciting player, but I think what Phil says about getting more of the ball, if we're able to do that and get into advanced positions early in the game and, and go ahead, I think it could be quite interesting. But then particularly if you've got the option of them having to come out and bring in Burke on. Because the likes of Kieran Clark and that aren't exactly fast, are they? And Paul Dummett or whatever he's called. Well, there's, there's Shah, there's Clark. I don't really... Yeah. But that makes me worry about whether we've got enough about us to exploit that. You know, I worry more about them than an attack. You know, the wide players with Wilson, with the potential of using Carroll as that kind of aerial threat. Defensively, I'd actually, you know, I think they're one of the best opportunities we've got all season. Um, but I worry... I would I mean, agree with that, definitely. Well, Dan says the keeper is excellent. The Bradker is up there with Geiter outside the top keepers as the absolute dogs bollards. Just, I don't think we have the ability at the minute to keep a clean sheet. We don't. Means that we... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and we've not even looked like it, really. Um, with the possible exception of Brighton, in the last, you know, only conceding at last minute. Which means that obviously we've got to score two to get a result. And again, I'm not sure we create enough that would make me confident that we can score two goals. I mean, I hope I'm wrong. I really do, but I'm just... <laughs> confidence in the side. You, you see the team being the same, Phil, as yesterday. 
I, I guess it depends on Stevens and Baldock being fit, doesn't it? I suppose um, if, they are, if they're not, it will be the same size. I don't say it virtually picks itself, doesn't it? Yeah. I tell you one thing that um, I know. Touching back on yesterday, but it's re- relevant to tomorrow's uh, Tuesday side. Ampadu played probably as good as I've seen him at all all season, playing at that left centre half role. And I'd have no problems in playing there and developing himself there at that position for the rest of the season, which kind of answers one of the questions that we've struggled all season with. I think whatever we decide to do there, because Robinson wasn't even in the entire. Um, 18 was there yesterday no. no I think whatever we decide there we know that whether it's Stevens playing there Robinson Ampadu Brian they're all not without the frailties so we none need... of them are Jack O'Connell are they but no. we've got to, ultimately I think we've got to just be we've got to put whoever's the better defend, the best defensively in that position it's interesting as well it's the 10th of January and has there been one transfer in the two transfers in the Premier League West Brom have signed Andy Lonergan on a free in Snodgrass Andy Lonergan he's about the same age as me <laughs> he was at Liverpool he's got Champions League winners medal oh, yeah but it's interesting that, isn't it? That we're 10th of January. I think that's the same every year, isn't it? Very rare happens quickly. Yes, and I think this year, obviously, this year will be less because obviously there's a financial pinch uh, in the clubs at the minute. So I think we'll Brexit is be less and less done. And half, yeah, Sam Allardyce uh, being flabbergasted that closing trade with Europe means that signing players will be difficult for him despite being a big advocate of Brexit which is quite ironic to say the least Sam but um, anyway enough of that I just think it'd be if we were to be bringing in a left-hand side of centre-half because it's clearly critical it would have come earlier in the month was the point I was trying to get at but I went down the path no, and I, I agree with Phil. I think Ampadu has had a lot of criticism in recent weeks, and I think rightly so on how he's applied himself. But equally, and again, you know, notwithstanding the opposition yesterday, I thought he, he looked the best game. I agree with Phil. I think he's played the best he's played for a while and look, looked comfortable in that position. Well, I think as well, people have to remember, like, with him, he's still... He's, we're not, we're not, but yeah, he's come from Chelsea, but he's, he, he's seldom featured in their first team. He went to Leipzig last season and hardly played. Yeah, didn't do much there, did he? Uh, I think he was injured for a substantial amount of that, but there was that. And then also, when he came through at Exeter, I don't know the numbers, but I don't think he played a million games before he left. No. I, as well, he would, have, he would have been on Tisdale, wouldn't he? At Exeter. Yeah, he would have, yeah. But uh, score predictions for Tuesday. I'm going to say United are going to win 3 1. I think we'd all take that, won't we? Oh, I would all yeah. take that. I'd, I'd take that. So, just, just quickly, I know we're talking team, the um, predictions for Tuesday, but Ethan Ampadu has played more times for Wales than anybody else. Full, full caps for Wales. He's played three times for Leipzig, one for Chelsea and eight for Exeter. Played more for us than any of them. Played 10 for United. But he's mm. played 20 full internationals for Wales. I mean, anyway. I think that, that adds that weight, doesn't it, to what I was saying, that we almost, you know, 
yeah, he hasn't been very good, but maybe our expectations of him are too great because he's come from Chelsea and Chelsea fans have him as the profile picture on the Twitter accounts and stuff, which is a bit weird. Anyway, sorry, I digressed. But predictions, I think we'll win 2-0. Okay. I think we'll keep clean sheet and win. I, I think it'll be... A, I think we'll take the lead and we'll concede. Whether Carroll starts or comes off the bench, I think it'll be 1-0. 3-1 Newcastle. Wowzers. All right. And on that bombshell. Thank you for the cheery end to that section. (laughs) (laughs) And we're going to come back with a very, very quick fire hall of fame to add a bit of humour at the end of the pod. Nice one. And welcome back to uh, part four. Uh, and as as trailed previously, we're returning to the Hall of Fame for the first time in probably about six weeks after a couple of interview specials with uh, Jamie Hoyland, Bob Booker. Um, delving back into the archives, I think the last winner uh, with a nomination to the Hall of Fame was Phil uh, with uh, Patrick Kenny, um, who was, I think, a landslide winner in that vote back then, back in early November. So congratulations, Phil. Um but I think let's kick off tonight. I'm going to throw it to Dan, first of all, for his nomination. Okay. Um, right, so my nomination is it's a player, but it's not a player. So it, it's, a, it's a period that this player had. Um, and it's Mike Lake's Zico period. So, for the, I mean, I'm going back to 92. 92, yeah, I'm sure it was. 92. So Mike Lake was an average midfielder. United had a bad, got a bad injury fairly quickly into his United career, broke his leg, uh, I think, away at Macclesfield. League Cup match, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it was away at Macclesfield and was a basically in and out squad player. And then for a period of about six or seven games, literally everything he hit from wherever he hit it absolutely flew in. I think it started, it started at Southampton, he got a double at Southampton. One of which took a big deflection, but the other one was an absolute thunder bastard, if we're, if we're being right. I think the next one, the next one, Forest away, where he hooks the volume Forest from the away, edge yeah. of the box. Yep. And then, I think well, the next one, there was a Man City one that he basically scored from pretty much the touchline, lobbed it over into the far corner in a, in, in a 4-2 win. He just, he just had a period where... He, he looked hard. He was hunched back. He was he was kind of he, he was kind of splatter footed. You know, he ran like Charlie Chaplin. But he just he had a he had a period of five or six, four or five or six games where everything he hit flew in, and obviously that's where he suddenly got the the moniker Zico. Um, don't think he I don't think he he didn't stay with as much long after that. I think he ended up back down at Wrexham or something like that. But. For that four or five games, it was just every time he got the ball, shoot, he invariably did and he invariably flew in. Like I said, the Southampton one out of all of them is just one of those where you hit it. And he, it's, I, was and it's that, also, I was at that game. We had behind the goal and we had to, in the, the wooden stand into the side. So yeah. I was actually sat behind where he hit that from. 
My, he, he didn't just go with pace, he bent it as well, didn't it? it was as well, didn't it? Yeah. 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 And I, I'm the same, I, I was behind the goal, and, and I know, obviously, you know, you hear, the, you hear the term limbs a lot these days. If you watch that, that video on YouTube, that is proper limbs behind that goal. Just, it basically turns into, it just looks like a seething mass of people. It just becomes like one fluid lump of people just moving up and down. Um, so, yeah, so that's my, my nomination, Mike Lakes. Not Mike Lake, but Mike Lakes, Zico period. It's interesting, isn't it, because the Lake family have had bad luck with injuries, but clearly have got some talented football in their genes with Paul Lake, his brother, as well. Mm. And everyone you talked to said that Paul Lake was nailed on to be a future England captain. Mm. You know, from being 15, 16 at Man City, they went, this is, you know, he's going to be one of the best players ever to come out of here. He's going to play for England. Um, I mean, I think he did his cruciates, didn't he? Um, yeah. These days, he'd have been out of the game for nine months and come back and, and gone on to play four, five, six hundred games. But finished him the, pretty much. Yeah. You what? It finished him pretty much, didn't it? Yeah, it did for him. Yeah, it, it kind of it finished his career. Um, but yeah, I mean, that must have, you know, to say he was, uh, Paul Lake was supposed to be the better one, but Mike's got the... The, the better highlights reel <laughs> that must stick in his craw. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's good nomination. Not- good nomination. That um, now John said he was inspired by Dan beforehand, so and he's got a t shirt that says original pirate material on it. So let's see if he's any different to Dan. Well, this could go anywhere. This well, we were talking the other day about one of the local journalists, and um, he obviously used to do probably still does his, his show. Uh, where he has guests on who uh, who talk about local football, Mr Biggs, and we were reminiscing about a player for us who I always wanted to sign, and then when we got him, um, he delighted, he frustrated, but he was always you'd I, I still think he was he wasn't even that bad for us. I know a lot of people would say he was. Uh, it would be in terms of his contribution in the game I remember him once putting the ball on a tee for Connor Salmon to do one of the greatest misses of all time but it was uh, it's Jamal campbell Rice when he was on Alton Biggs' uh, local show and um, when they asked about his loyalty in Sheffield football he didn't just say he prefers United fantastic turn of phrase I've always had a severe dislike for them and their supporters I don't know what it is. I just don't like them. Uh, referring to our rivals across the city. And although then I couldn't really think of any Campbell Rice magic moments, um, I think I, that's I'll give you one if you want. QPR away in the FA Cup that oh, year. It was absolutely mm. tremendous. Yeah. <laughs> and McNulty scored early on and then he scored one right in front of us. I remember that day. It was a Sunday lunchtime. Mr. Sat the keeper down, didn't he? Sat the keeper down. Brilliant. Yeah. Mr. Casbolt, friend of the pod, uh, we had a lovely day that day. I remember rolling back in Sheffield only at about 7pm and going straight to bed when I got in, put it like that. <laughs> um, fantastic. But yeah, I've always had a severe dislike for them and their supporters. I think he used the word hate, you know. I'm sure he said, I've oh, always hate hated you. Wednesday. I-, I think he said, I've always hated Wednesday. And you could almost, wherever you were in Sheffield... You know that when, when people wake up and they say, was there an earthquake last night? Well, the earthquake you felt then was Alan Biggs' arse dropping out when he said Haiti. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. 
Been out phone to him straight away. What have you said? Anyway, yeah, that's mine. So two short-lived blades, but remembered for quite different reasons so far. <laughs> that's one way of putting it. Phil. So I'm going back. Uh, man's man's a goal, and I, I kind of hoped we were going to do a. a Hall of Fame tonight because this came it became on, on Twitter yesterday that it was the anniversary of a particular goal or there was a reason that it was shown on, on on Twitter for some reason yesterday and that was Stefan Skugel's goal in the FA Cup semi-final against Hull oh yeah yeah. our first ever goal Travelling Blade shared it didn't he Travelling Blade shared it and said before Duffy we had Skugel at Wembley that's right that's what it was and it was just that moment. First time I'd ever seen my team score a goal at Wembley. All of us had ever seen our team score a goal at Wembley. And uh, and Dan kindly picked me up. I think one-handed threw me against the roof because we were right at the bottom of the stand at the at the bottom of Wembley with the yeah. the, the lowest mm. possible tier. So we were quite close to the roof. And he kind of turned around and bear rubbed me and then chucked me against the roof, which um, <laughs> was no mean feat because I was quite a bit heavier at that time as well. So uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, but that 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 day out in general was just fantastic. Everything about it was really good. There was there was obviously the fact that we scored. We went in at half time winning. We all thought we would, we'd got a really good chance of getting to the FA Cup um, final, and and that would have actually got us into Europe as well. There was the applause after their fifth goal went in from the United fans. Everything about that day was fantastic. But to see our team score at Wembley and, and Stefan Skull be the man to do it, that was a tremendous uh, memory for me. I don't. I've got fond memories out there. I've got a lot of love for a lot of players in that time, despite not being our greatest ever team or anything. A lot of time for like to school Murphy, some extent Brayford, people laugh at me for Doyle. Like a lot of those players, I really have a lot of time for in my United sporting time, lifetime. Yeah, it was a good side. I mean, that, we, Clough had managed to build a reasonably good side and then tear it apart for the following season by flooding it with players that we didn't necessarily need. Billy Payne in the ultimate sh- shocking one. I remember him playing for his away at Crewe, not look, looking absolutely horrendous. And apparently there were rumours that once he were laying down after a challenge and he'd said to physio, I'm not injured, I just need 45 seconds on that knackered. Christ! Wow. I mean, I think think for me, I mean, I, I'd seen us, I'd seen a score at Wembley, but and um, we took the lead, didn't we? And then they equalised. But I think just that, course, it's that moment in just before half, just before half time to take the lead. And I think because uh, ask any of us, I think as well as we were playing when Hull equalised, I think we thought, oh well, you know, had the yeah. lead, lost it. I remember, remember but, that half time very fondly, being very messy, very loud, and a lot of beer being thrown around. I, can't, I, didn't see, I didn't see us losing half-time because we, we were... If one, if there's one thing we were that season, we were very, very good defensively. And going in up at half-time, we were saying, don't see us conceding, they'll have to push forward. Murphy, whatever it is on the counter-attack, you know, we could nick this 3-1 and then just bum, bum, bum. Yeah, straight after half-time, wasn't it? Mr. Rams, um, I need to settle yeah. down to my roast lamb in the next couple of minutes. Yeah. So if this can be short and speed, that'd be fantastic. Oh. Cheers, pal. <laughs> I'll do my best. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going completely off kilter with what we've gone for. Um, 
we kind of touched upon the, the, the funding of transfers and boards putting in money. So I'd like to nominate the Grand National Sweepstake because without it, in 1991, we wouldn't have signed Glyn Hodges. It's something we've talked about on um, on recent pods with uh, with Jamie and others. But, you know, it was a different footballing world 30 years ago. And the fact a top-level club needed a raffle of supporters to raise the funds to secure the transfer of a player who went on to be probably one of our most, well, probably one of the most talented footballers I've seen in a red and white shirt. Um, yeah, all, all credit to, to the promotions department at the lane, Mr. Dakin and Mr. Rooker, etc. Um, don't know. I don't know. Who won the Grand National that year? We should check before we come on. Don't know. Don't know. Don't, don't know if anyone knows the blade who won the raffle even. But ultimately, it uh, it brought one of the best players I've ever seen to Bramall Lane. So I mean, I think yeah. I'm going to say as, as a rule, the club won, didn't they? Because we got yeah, like we got one of the best players we've seen who gave us some genuine magic moments after after signing. You know, the winner at Derby, yeah. Man United goal. Goal to send Forest down. Magic. Yeah, goal to send Forest down, which yep. is always good in my book. Ed Butting Gordon Armstrong. Ed Butting Gordon yep. Armstrong. <laughs> Fall, falling over the falling over the advertisement hoarding against Southampton. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you remember the goal he scored against was Luton. Southampton, no, Derby. It was Derby, wasn't it? Was it was Derby where he fell over the advertisement hoarding. The goal he yeah. scored against Luton that season, which which was a you know eight or nine player and several pass move finishing with a, a little flicked header um, yeah for, what was it 400 grand we spent on him yeah yeah it was yeah. Grand well Part, partly funded by whoever well partly funded by all us all us buying tickets and so on so I look now when Seagram won the Grand National another blade was quids in as well but I think like you said the biggest winner out of it was uh, was Sheffield United and the fans who got to watch him so um, yeah that's yeah, my, that was a good my nomination, nomination. That, I think. Very good. Four really good ones and actually felt like a, a proper Hall of Fame that so there's a bit of <clears throat> a bit of stuff from various areas um of supporting United. But let's hope we do get that win on Tuesday, lads, because it'd be nice to double and add a bit more to our points total in the Premier League, wouldn't it? Just a bit. And Just and one nice last thing, we, we hopefully will be with you again this week with, with some company if everything goes to plan. Not going to promise anything on that, but yeah, you, we're not fair weather fans, as I'm sure you're not fair weather listeners. But we felt that we needed a break, but it's been good to get back together and do a podcast for all the listeners. So we do wish you a happy new year and hope you had a good break. And although it is lockdown three, we'll be back in the lane before you know it, and things will be a bit better. So thanks for spending an hour with us this evening or this afternoon or morning, whenever you're listening to it. Got a bit emotional then, lads. Sorry. It's thought of that lamb dinner, isn't it? That's done it. Yeah, oh, smell it. It's burning. <laughs> who the fuck eats? Who the fuck eats a lamb dinner? At a Royal Alice on a Sunday night. Right, lads. Pleasure. All the blades. All the blades. If you go to a pub in Ireland, you have to have a song. And if you don't have a song, you may as well not put the pub on. I've changed the Murray, by the way. So if anybody wants to find me with that, right. Well, I'd say Peroni as well. <laughs>